coming up on this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. I, I like to say to those teaching theistic evolution, many of who are friends of mine, I admire other things about them, I, I think that they really need to remember the vows they took to submit to the brethren of the mm-hmm. Lord, to pursue the peace. They always accuse us of being divisive. Hold it, we make agreements and they break them. Yep. The, the people promoting theistic evolution are going to divide the Presbyterian Church in America. And I wish that they would reconsider. I think they're biblically wrong. I think that they're mistaken that we need to surrender this for secular you know, approval or to avoid. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll be persecuted. Yes, they'll call us a bunch of bumpkins. Right, we're, that, what do you think they called the early church in Rome? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be persecuted in post-Christian, post-modern America. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host, William Hill, and we have a special edition of the podcast today. I'm actually on location, as it were, at Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville to interview uh, Pastor Rick Phillips on the General Assembly that just occurred in Louisville uh, a couple weeks ago, and more about that in just a minute. As I said, this is a podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and if you're interested in more information about the seminary, you can contact us or visit our website at gpts.edu. If you want to catch up on these podcasts or find out more information about what we're doing with these, different resources, links, who's coming up on the broadcasts, you can visit us at confessingourhope.com. And as usual, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu and I do everything I can to get back to everybody who writes in. So write in comments, questions, criticisms, inquiries, and I will respond in a timely fashion. As I indicated, we are on location, as it were, today at Second Presbyterian Church. That's a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America to sit down and talk with Rick Phillips about the recent 40th General Assembly of the PCA. Rick Phillips has his MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary, and his demon from Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and has been on the program um, before when I did a different podcast um, a number of years ago. So, Rick, it's good to have you on the program, and I think you're going to correct me uh, up front uh, as to your doctorate degree. Well, they gave me a doctorate of divinity, actually. Doctorate of and, divinity, uh, see, okay. But, William, it's great to be here with you. Great. Now, Rick, uh, this was the 40th General Assembly, and... Um, we're going to talk about some of the concerns, issues that surrounded the assembly, basically do a summary of some of the events that happened. So I guess just up front, maybe get your impressions. Uh, you've been in the PCA for how many years? Fifteen, something like that. So this is, you've been to quite a few assemblies of the PCA. Yeah, I've been to 10 or 12 probably. And you've seen a number of them in different in circumstances and locations. What was your general feel of this assembly and, and how things were conducted overall? Um, it, it wasn't a very controversial assembly, really, because the the nature of the issues, the, the the nature of the overtures that were dealing with the issues were not very decisive. There weren't a lot of Book of Church order changes. They weren't changing the system of government. Uh, there were some overtures to make some statements, some in thesis statements that were the big deal. Uh, so I I'd expected it to be a a pretty. Uh, uh, non-intense one, and it was uh, undoubtedly to me the most striking feature was the small att- attendance. Mm-hmm. I know Ben Shaw wrote a blog entry on that, but that was the most notable thing to me was the low attendance. Yeah, Dr. Shaw did um, comment on that on his blog, and I'm going to give that information out either at the end of this broadcast or on the blog itself uh, after this is completed. But since we brought that up, why do you think that is the case? Do you? Do you th- I think part of it is the sheer expense of it. The PCA meets in cities where you're going to have to pay pretty high hotel costs. Mm-hmm. We were in Louisville, by the way. It was a lovely downtown. I had no idea how lovely it was, and it worked well. But only the larger churches seem to be able to have the budgets to regularly send people. I think it's probably $10,000 or something like that, maybe $7,000. Right at $8,000 for our church to send five elders there. Um, and so I think part of it's the expense. And I think that there is a perception. This is This is my opinion, 
it could be wrong, but there's a perception that the real power is taking place in in conference rooms and not on the floor of the assembly. That the the committees of the general assembly and uh, like the overtures committee and those sorts of things. I actually think this general assembly was a good example of where mm-hmm. the action was on the floor. The votes were on the floor. The votes mattered. The overtures committee did a good job, I thought, of getting clear uh, pros and cons to the floor. I think there's a perception, though, that it's uh, it, that the General Assembly is increasingly only a social event. Now, there's some value in it being a social event. Sure, I interact sure. with a lot of people and, and all that kind of thing. But I think that that perception is hurting attendance. You know, we've got... Uh, particularly ruling elders, uh, uh, to me a shocking small number of ruling elders. These are guys who, businessmen, lawyers, whatnot, who go to trade shows all the time. They go to conventions. And I, I wonder if the PCA General Assembly doesn't have exactly the same kind of feel as a trade show that they're going to. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, I was struck by the low attendance. The votes on the floor were under 800 votes counted. Really? That's pretty small. Yeah, Dr. Shaw mentioned that the the number of ruling elders, as you've indicated, was significantly lower uh, than in past years, and he seemed to zero in on that a little bit, um, given the circumstances and some of the things that were actually voted upon, how important the ruling elders being there, um, how much the, of an impact they make on the voting. Obviously, more numbers, different outcomes and votes, um, but I think you hit on a good point the venues themselves and the expense that each church has to carry. Uh, we have different sized churches in the, in the denomination and some just simply cannot afford to send two or three. It effectively elders. disenfranchises the smaller churches. Now it's easier to criticize and I'm just making an observation. Sure. Sure. So whatever the solution would be, I think that clearly the expense is uh, particularly for smaller churches. I was talking to, we had one vote. The intention vote was 14 votes. Uh, mm-hmm. The majority won by 14. We actually won that vote. It's, it's kind of a nice experience to win one occasionally. Uh, uh, and I was talking to some friends of mine who were from smaller churches. I said, hey, we needed you there. And they said, well, you know, we just can't swing it. So, uh, What do you think a solution to that would be? Uh, certainly your opinion, and, and I realize um, those kinds of questions can be a little heavy. Well, I mean, the, the, the two options that are usually brought up are the OPC's version and the, AP, and the ARP's version. The OPC has a uh, representative assembly where not all teaching elders are allowed to go and vote. Mm-hmm. And, and the teaching elders, like the ruling elders, are proportionate. And the PCA has always objected to that, saying, no, no, we want everybody to be able to come. I actually think that they're more representative than we are with their delegated assembly. So that would be one approach. I don't think culturally the PCA is going to go for that, but I think it probably would improve the general assembly to have the presbyteries vote to send delegates uh, in that way. The ARP has their, their general synod mm-hmm. uh, at Bon Clarkin. Now, I admit I love Bon Clarkin, mm-hmm. so any reason mm-hmm. to go to Bon Clarkin is a good reason, good thing for me. <laughs> but they, uh, they stay in dorms. Uh, if you've ever been to the Banner of Truth conference at Messiah College, mm-hmm. hey, we stay in, I spoke there. I stayed in a dorm. It was fine. And, uh, Except it's not at Messiah anymore. Yeah, where is it? Um, good question. Uh, Elizabeth. City, I saw that. It's not with town. Even it's, the banner of truth is changing. Isn't that terrible? Yes. But uh, my wife went to Messiah College. But um, oh, the, so so the so the real truth, the real deal well, comes out on. Well, on that my, my point is though that I wouldn't mind. You know, I I I, I think that the ARP approach is you basically you stay in dorms. You meet, go to the right. same place every year. Yep. Um, I personally would prefer something like that. I don't think Ridgehaven could do it, but. Um, you know, we want to be a national denomination. We want to do it, and we want to have meetings like the Southern Baptist Convention does in big cities. And I think, for in our case, it is depressing attendance. Since we're talking about the venues and the attendance issues and, and the circumstances that surround that, what are some of the positives to the way the PCA does the General Assembly in general? And then maybe talk about what are the negatives. And we, are, we kind of hinted around some of those, but maybe more specifically. Well, I was, I was uh, not a fan of the changes to the RAO, the Rules of Assembly Operations, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concern was that it would shift power from the floor of the assembly to the committees. I, I think I was wrong. I, I think that this year showed that the Overtures Committee's new structure really did, in fact, push the authority to the floor. Uh, 
committees in a, in a body that size, the committees are always going to be important. You want to get involved, get on a committee. And I think that that runs pretty well. I think that um, uh, I think socially, it's a, and I think it primarily is a social event, and I think it's a pretty successful one. Um, it means a lot to me to, to meet people. I go to the Westminster Seminary Dinner. I'm on the board there. And I go to MTW lunch and all those sorts of things, and I run into people. I think it's really effective in that respect. Mm. I actually think that if we could, if the attendance was better, I think the the structure of the assembly is not a problem right now. Uh, and what are, what are the negative sides? I mean, we I, we kind of talked about a little bit of that, but I think um, do you feel like there's an atmosphere that it's a, a court of the church in that serious no. nature? No, it's it has more of a feeling of a trade convention. And I think that's partly why ruling elders don't come. Now, again, uh, it's easy to criticize, you know. Sure, uh, sure. But uh, I, I think one of the interesting things, I mean, the PCA is a badly divided denomination. It's very fascinating. We all, I think, ascribe to the Westminster Confession, which is a very large and thorough confession of faith. Um, I think everybody there sincerely believes in predestination and inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you think that would bring unity. Uh, we have a fundamental issue of uh, to what extent our doctrinal convictions uh, constrain and come to bear upon our ministry methods and approaches. Mm-hmm. And the whole contextualization issue, the whole worship issue, just the whole idea, does do we, we, we know what our message is. I think we agree on our message. The reason we disagree so strikingly on our methods is we disagree to the extent, as to the extent to which our message, our doctrine, dictates to our methods, and so you have this diversity of ministry methods and of worship that has us pretty bad. We're a badly divided denomination. We work really hard at getting to getting along. It was really striking to me how many times I heard in prayers and opening remarks the call to unity. We're all talking about being unified. We're all talking about being charitable to one another. We're all talking about behaving well. Well, you talk that way in a dysfunctional family, not in a functional family. Right. In a functional family, you talk about the mission, yep. what we're trying to accomplish. In a divided denomination, I, I felt like, I mean, to me, it's what you must get in the PCUSA. Cons, I mean, one person after another gets up there and preaches and prays. There were some good sermons. I thought Mike Ross's sermon particularly was good. But there are one person after another gets up there and, and says, oh, Lord, make us one. I, I'd love to have one person get up there and say, Lord, there must be heretics in this room. And surely there are. It's a big enough group. And Satan's at work. Would you drive them out? But you, know, you, you would never say that in the PCA. You'd be stoned to death if you did that because we're so concerned about our fragile unity that it's like that's the, ch- the chief doctrine of the General Assembly mm-hmm. is unity. Well, that's only true where you profoundly do not have unity, and we're not really dealing with the disunity issues. This is what's going on. We have this profound disunity. Um, we, have, we agree on so many things, but the issue is, do our, does our message constrain our method? We believe that there is a message do we believe that there is a co- consistent, coherent ministry approach? No, we believe there's not. The, the RUF model, uh, what's their motto? Uh, uh, unity and message, diversity and mm-hmm. method right. is the PCA motto, and it's leading us to be to where we can't, don't work together well, except for within our factions. Mm. Our membership is really in our faction. Uh, I'm a historic, old-school Presbyterian guy. I think everybody knows that. Who knows me? Uh, and others are progressive, emergent-leaning, whatnot. Um, that difference – take the worship services. We begin the PCA General Assembly every year with a divisive event, namely a worship service that, they, that the people put – and they're, they're doing their best. They're, they're trying to worship the Lord. They're trying to lead us. But everybody knows that – a large proportion of the people there are not going to like it. <laughs> kind of no matter what you do. If you well, why, do, well, if they know that, why do they? Why does the presbytery that hosts the assembly insist on doing that? Because no matter what they do, the denomination is doxologically divided, and therefore whatever they do is going to be doxologically offensive. When, to when you say doxologically divided, what do you mean by that? Well, we celebrate diversity in worship approach, and. Um, you know, Terry Johnson made the case at a meeting I went to at MA 10 years ago. He made the case for a fixed liturgy, and I thought he was nuts. 
you know, literally a formal fixed liturgy that everybody mm-hmm. followed. And mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to do that. I'm not sure I would even advocate it. But I think he's made the case that that would bring unity. And the fact that we have significant different approaches to worship has the effect, I'm just, I'm just being descriptive here, of starting us off factionalized the day we get there. And I think that the, until we deal effectively with the fundamental differences between the factions of the PCA, then every General Assembly is going to have prayer after prayer about unity, and uh, we're going to go there, and while we're going to get along, we're, the, the, the General Assembly is going to be more of a tribal event. You tend to get, you tend to socialize within your balkanized faction. For me, it's the, you know, it's the old school historic Presbyterian reform guys, and for others, it's and we don't kind of travel together. You can see the the movements going like schools of fish, and the PCA is a is a divided denomination. Now, it's not one that's hostile towards one another. I think the two factions are trying to get along, but. That reality is, is, I think in the next 10 years, that cannot stay the same. I would say of the whole Reformed and Presbyterian world, that if you took the affinity groups who really believed the same things, did the things, hung out together, spoke at each other's conferences, liked to be together, and then if you did the denominational maps, they don't line up at all. Mm-hmm. That cannot remain the same. The next 10 years are going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very hard to avoid... Uh, 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 that that fault line, the, the intinction issue, for instance. Sure, sure. Three. If you told me three years ago that we'd be debating intinction, a Romish practice, I mean, it is just is. I, I, that was not a broadside to the other side. That's just what it. That's where it comes from. You, you know uh, that that the PCA would. Well, three years ago we did it at the General Assembly. Although I didn't do it, I refused to receive communion in a non-biblical way. But. Uh, uh, I would not have believed that we would be debating whether or not we would pr- take the Lord's Supper in a, in a way that mimics the, the Church of Rome. Mm. And yet here we are, and, we, and we, we were like 50-50 divided on the issue. You want to come back to that intinction issue, because I think that's something that a lot of the listeners may, they hear the word intinction, and they're probably going to their Google and trying to, what's that? Yeah. Never heard of it before. Um, and then they find out, like, well, I've heard of the practice, I've heard of the description of it. I've seen that in Rome and Eastern Orthodoxy and whatnot, but um, but we'll come back to that. I want to touch on the worship services real quick because yeah, okay. that's always a highlight of, as it were, of the assembly. Each night of the assembly, they have a worship service, and um, I didn't watch them. To be perfectly candid, I can't. I get a little spun up. I get worked up when I watch the worship services because of the things that are going on, and it's a little difficult when you're watching it via stream, so you're not really there as it were what was your impressions though of the worship services um well the tuesday night one of course is where we celebrate the lord's supper together and mm-hmm. I, I to be mm-hmm. honest with you i work very hard at at just worshiping and following along rather than to evaluate it because sure, I, sure. I know i'm going to be prone to do that and I, i've had some bad experiences at general assembly in the past that mm-hmm. have worked me up before and I, I sincerely am trying not to do so and I thought that uh, I wasn't that upset, but Tuesday night, it's, it's a more contemporary service. Uh, it's just, and, and uh, like everybody there is well-meaning, trying to serve the Lord Jesus. It's just fascinating to me, at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America, you have a church praise band, people in jeans, and you know, and ah, uh, it's just, and, I, like, and these are lovely people serving the Lord. I have nothing but goodwill towards them. It just blows my mind that we would gather the General Assembly of the church, Presbyterian Church in America, and worship in such a casual way, and that it, it's hard for me personally to overcome that. I did overcome it, and I, I listened to the message, and I, yeah, the outgoing moderator gave his message, and uh, uh, it was not the way I would have uh, organized it. But you know, I wasn't organizing it, so I did my best to really worship together with my brethren there, mm-hmm. and I did, and it was okay. There were a number of things I I noted, but it wasn't that big a deal. Well, I think it's interesting, a practical point that you make, uh, whether you intend to make it or not, um, for those in those scenarios, those situations where they know they're going to be in a worship service that they're probably going to have a difficult time with, um, that wouldn't be the way they would do it. Um, There's a number of things that they may disagree with, but to keep focus on the reality that you're not leading it, but you're here to worship God and do the best you can 
given those circumstances. I mean, I think that's an interesting point yeah. for those that are had those situations thrust upon them. And I think respect. the guys who are really bothered are the regulative principal people. You know, to me, that's a chapter in our confession, and I really believe it. Part of being reformed, and I'm not just here to be reformed. I just believe in being reformed. I believe mm-hmm. that this is the biblical way, and part of that is to conform our worship to Scripture. And so it's going to be the regular principal guys who tend to get torqued up and who do get torqued up. It's been my impression, it could be a false impression, that the more progressive guys do not care whether we're torqued up by what goes on at the worship service. When we did Intention three years ago, was it three years ago, two years ago? First, it blew my mind, but then I was outraged that they would so knowingly offend all the old school guys. And there's that's about 30% of us, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem to be an awareness of that. So it's, it's ten, I, my impression is that the more conservative guys tend to get more worked up because we have a more rigorous set of views about worship. So I do my best. Look, the, look you got the PCA is a doxologically diverse denomination. That's the deal. And is that recoverable? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that that is well anything. I mean, without a split, if the Lord, no. sure, sure. <laughs> well, and, and certainly the Lord could do it. That's it, deeply it, embedded. It's a past decision that is a closed book. That the regulative principle, as as was said to me a few years ago by a very famous denominational person, I want you know, Rick. Nobody takes seriously the regular principle, and I said, you know, that's a chapter in the confession. Well, come on. Well, you know, see, we didn't know that others weren't taking it seriously, and we wonder what else in the confession others are not taking seriously. But I, honestly, the regulative principle is essentially not in force in the PCA. Yeah, now, it, I mean, you could look. You could get me at some Pentecostal place, and suddenly I would think the PCA was unified. Sure, I mean, sure. Context determines meaning. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, 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 but. I don't think that the regulative. I think that's been that's a past tense issue right. because we want to be we want to be relevant, we want to be numerically successful, we want to be a part of evangelicalism, and that's that's one of the prices that we have decided we would pay. I myself am not comfortable with that. Well, that pres- therefore I'm not going to be comfortable with worship services. But I doesn't mean. that presuppose that that we can't be relevant and follow the regulative principle? In other words, well, it, we have to jettison the regulative principle to be relevant. I'm giving you my impression. Right. I understand of what that the, of what is going on. Uh, that is my impression. I think it's a mistaken. But uh, that's why. I mean, the PCA. Look, I, I, you go to large cities in America, and I don't know where to send someone to worship. I don't know what church to recommend. And people go, well, why don't you just go to the PCA directory? Well, it's funny. Well, you got to be kidding it's me. It's funny you I say that. I not think about doing that. It's funny you say that because just on an email list that we're probably both familiar with, uh, someone asked the question, I have a member that's going to another city. This is a pastor in the PCA. As a member that's going to another city, does anybody out there have a good PCA church to recommend in that city? Someone wrote in right after that and said, why would you have to recommend to your member to, go, to not go to or go to a church in your own denomination? I think a little naive question. A lot of but it is the reality this, is that the PCA is so diverse when it comes to these things. I was talking to a friend of mine who's not a hardcore TR kind of person. He's relatively conservative, and he'd been on vacation, and he he just tell give me horror stories of mm-hmm. PCA churches. Mm-hmm. One of them. In the place where the creed is done, they read the church mission statement. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, so I mean, we do not have a common cause when it comes to worship and so uh, that is a big issue because we don't worship well together we have to at the tuesday night worship service i don't know how many times we were told about unity that's because we don't worship well together and that is a more harmful dynamic than Mm -hmm. i think people are aware of now I, i personally don't think that i would take up Terry's suggestion that we have a hard and fast liturgical conformity, although if we did, we'd be unified. Absolutely. Uh, it would be nice. The, 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 the abandonment of the regulative principle, uh, at least with any depth, sure. but, uh, is a big issue in the PCA. Well, we could probably talk about the worship issues for the rest of the afternoon and probably further, but you have an appointment at 2.30. I do want to get to some of the specific things. Many of which are worship issues. And many of which are worship issues. But there was there was the one issue that um, 
that I had first heard of uh, through another program that I listened to from time to time that I didn't even realize was going on, the Insider Movement. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what is the Insider Movement? Well, first of all, praise the Lord for those guys last year who at the MTW Committee of Commissioners raised the flag on this. And talk about the relevance of going to GA. Mm-hmm. Here's some guys who went there. Nobody was on nobody's radar screen. MTW did not seem to be on top of it. And a couple of guys brought, raised the flag, and we disapproved a study committee report on it. The insider movement is a missional movement uh, that is seeking to reach particularly the Muslim world in a way that avoids making people pay the price, which is very high in many of these Muslim countries, of, of, uh, of allegiance to Christ. For instance, they teach that you may be a Christian and continue to call yourself a Muslim and continue to worship in mosque as a Muslim. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, they are concerned about, they're, very, they're just overwhelmingly concerned about what the Islamic response to Christianity is. And they want to avoid, and this is so postmodern, we don't want the hardcore, evil, Islamic people to be upset about converts. Well, folks, they're going to be upset. And one of the big issues is Christ is Son of God. Mm-hmm. And so what, translation-wise, this is where Wycliffe has been in big trouble, and rightly so. Wycliffe has been doing translations of the, of the Bible in, in, in Arabic versions in which they're not describing Jesus as son of God because in Arabic thought it's impossible to desexualize that. Right. Now obviously you're going to do your best. And we got people who are working hard at that. I think we need to cut missionary translators a little slack sometimes and at least listen to and see what they're doing because it's not that easy to convey thoughts and, and into the into other cultural worlds. I know that. But folks, son of God is not negotiable. Right. Uh publicly acknowledging Jesus Christ, renouncing the idols. These are not negotiable things. So this is contextualization run amok and contextualization that we have to conform to the expectations of the world, whether it's New York City, whether it's uh, Riyadh or whatnot, is run amok. And this is maybe the most extreme version of it among sure. so-called Christians. So, yeah, the PCA stood tall. We had some guys that did a great job on the study committee. There was one, I thought, incredibly weak attempt to derail it, and they very passionately made their case, and the assembly overwhelmingly voted it. You know, here's the thing. The PCA remains a gospel denomination. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the real strengths of the PCA. Uh, if you can show the commissioners of the General Assembly that this is a gospel issue, they will overwhelmingly vote on it. We had that with the Federal Vision Study yep. Committee yep, that's right. five years or so ago. It's not always easy persuading them that it's a gospel issue. But if they are persuaded, it, it's a landslide in the PCA. And that's why the PCA remains. There's a lot of hope for the PCA. We're a strong gospel denomination. And this insider movement, once it was made clear to the General Assembly, forget about it. It was a decisive vote. Praise the Lord for that. And, and another and good issue. Job with those guys. Yeah. And, 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 and when, I, when I first heard of the issue, I, I understood, as you were saying, and, that it is difficult. Cultural issues and, and terminology mean different things. And. and Thankfully, it, it, Greek and Hebrew seems to come over to English a little easier than other cultures and other ways. Because but our the, language comes from Greek and Greek. Right, exactly. Right, you know. But, but the, at the end of the day, there are just some things that cannot be. I remember I had a seminary president say to me 10 years ago, talking about the Hispanic world. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know how there's a man, masculinity problem in a lot of Latin American countries, the men are right, abusive right. to women. And he said, we got to stop using the metaphor of God as father in these cultures. Hmm. And I said, Father is not a metaphor for God <laughs> that we can just exchange. Right. The first person of the Godhead is Father. Now, what we need to do, I mean, even in America, I never preach the fatherhood of God without... Go ahead. I'll repeat. Even in America, I never preach the fatherhood of God without addressing the people who had bad fathers. Right. But we don't, we don't get to decide... The identity of God as He's revealed. Sure, sure. And so, uh, yeah, and the PCA, it was good. It was a great, it was a good moment. This GA, the insider movement, was a slam dunk. How about the issue with uh, what was it? The uh, NA is it NAE, National Association of Evangelicals? Well, I don't think that even became an issue because 
I mean, I, I am sympathetic with it. There's a movement to question whether or not we should be involved in the National Association of Evangelicals. Remember Ted Haggard mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, fame? Yep. And, you know, the PCA desperately wants to be evangelical. I wish we would not desperately want to be evangelical. Uh, I haven't studied the issue in detail, but what I do know does not encourage me of why we want to be a part of this organization. But, you know, um, I don't think that even got on the radar screen in General Assembly. And then we come to... That's the reason, though, why we're banned. Our church is banned by Bob Jones University here in Greenville. Because you're part of the NAE? Because the PCA is part of the NAE. There's bad people in the NAE. Therefore, we are associating with bad people. I, I wasn't aware that you guys were banned by BJU. Does that mean their students can't come here? Actually, their students can worship here in the evening, but they, no employees can join our church. We had, a, we had a girl raised in our church, married a security guy there. She had to leave our church. Because of the NAE. So anyway, that's well, just, that's why we're banned by well, Bob Jones University. Well, that information was free for those who are listening. That's right. There it is. And don't live in Greenville, but um, that's uh, interesting. It gives us street cred. Yes, it gives. Friends. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Um, for those who are listening to this, um, you may, uh, from time to time, seem like we're referring to other people in the room. That's because there are other people in the room. And um, so if you hear that and will kind of wonder to scratch your head. That's the reason. Um, so now you don't have to wonder any more about that issue. Now, coming to which I think was the two, um, probably the two biggest discussions that, ha that, uh, that occurred, at least from my perspective. I was able to watch the majority of the de debates that occurred on the floor, especially on the creation issue. Um, there was an overture by two different presbyteries, two overtures. Then there was a third overture that sought to undo those other two overtures. Right on the issue of creation. Can you take us through that just briefly, and um, what was the Assembly's well, reaction? Let me back up about 10 years. In 1999, uh, the PCA does a study committee on creation. The real issue was days of creation, mm -hmm. and that was a consensus document that permitted six-day, 24-hour creationism. Uh, it cr allowed age-day concordance. It allowed framework hypothesis, but not theistic evolution, not no way, not no how. I remember when it came out, never, ever. Will we allow theistic evolution? It's never going to happen. No, not in the PCA. Fast forward 10 years later. So what happens? We come to agreements, and our progressive wing just waits and then blasts the agreements. And so now we've got, in the well, it's not just in the PCA. Bruce Waltke goes on the Biologos website, remember, two years ago, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he says that unless we, the scientific evidence for evolution, macroevolution, is so overwhelming that unless we accept it, we'll be made into a cult. My answer is, you mean like the early Christians who were a cult? And B, what does he know about science? He's an Old Testament scholar. I wrote a blog post to get it against it. People said to me, how dare you attack that great Old Testament scholar? He's not arguing Old Testament. He's arguing science. And so you had Bruce Waltke. You had Peter Renz from my own Westminster, who's, who's gone on really it's tragically to me, the way he's really attacking Christianity now in be in, on behalf of an evolutionary worldview. You had Tremper Longman denying historical Adam. You have the Biologos Foundation featuring, for instance, a white paper written in 2009 by Tim Keller mm -hmm. arguing for the acceptability of theistic evolution. You have Jack Collins, the Old Testament professor at Covenant Seminary, who are he's, he's writing his book on Adam and Eve to the academic guild he's writing that book to let me give full credit now to exhort them not to abandon a historical adam so this is good right it is but then he makes room for non-biblical historical adams he says for instance well you know maybe adam was the head of a tribal confederation mm -hmm. and suddenly we're so what's happening is the secularist dogma is not tolerating our fidelity to the Bible on this issue. And of course, there's a whole worldview, the theology of death versus theology of life. You know, evolution has God looking down and saying it is good, and he's talking about processes, the engine of which is death. Evolution runs by means of death, survival of the fittest, and all of that. Uh, and so now you have death before the fall. And so you have this, this really anti, non-Christian, anti-Christian worldview. Mm. The function of evolution is to provide a plausible replacement for God in the mechanism of creation. That's right. what it's about. Now, you have guys like Keller says in his white paper, he says, look, we got scientists in our church, and 
you know, if you want to be a player in biology, I mean, you're going to be an evolutionist. And they come to church, and it just causes a big problem. We want to be, t- I think this is a fair representation of what he's saying. Uh, we want to talk about Jesus, so let's just, you know, let, let, we can, let's work this out so that we can just tolerate theistic evolution. Now, since then, Keller has said, described himself as a progressive old earth creationist and has admitted, well, that only works with evolution. Now, these are just some examples. There are many others. Of now, remember, not no way, not know how on evolution? Ten years ago. Now, Katie bars the door. Um, Let me say this. I think the intinction issue and I think the pedo communion issue at General Assembly, while I care about them deeply, I think they're important, they are not slippery slope issues for the PCA. They're just wacky, in my view, symptoms of our lack of doxological unity. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I regret them. I will oppose them without too much effort. But the PCA is going to live if we've got some guys doing intinction. I'm being honest with you. Theistic evolution involves the submission of the scriptures to secularist dogma as a higher authority. This is our slippery slope issue, and we will lose everything. Well, is it, and those it? who are teaching it are attacking the unity of the PCA. We have stood together on not no way, not know how. Okay, framework. I don't like the framework hypothesis, but I can, okay, I can live with that. But theistic evolution, now we're making arguments that submit the scripture to the higher authority mm-hmm. of secular style. Let me give an example, Genesis 2-7, which says God formed the man of the dust and he breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living spirit, a living soul. Now we have guys saying, Keller's White Papers 1, it's cited in other places, I think Jack Collins cites it in his book, in fact I know he does. Uh, well, Derek Kidner says, well maybe that describes millions of years of biological evolutionary processes. Okay, my response is, well, maybe it does. But the only way you would ever think that is because you have submitted to the higher standard of secularist dogma. That's right. You're reading it. There's nothing in the text to even suggest that. You're imposing it in the text because the secularists demand that you do so. Now, I want to say, folks, they are no more at peace with the atonement, the resurrection, the virgin birth, uh, all the whole supernatural structure of Christianity than they are with Adam. I mean, it blows their mind. The secularists can't believe we even think about Adam. Uh, But they will not accept any of the supernatural Christianity as soon as we accept the principle that secularist dogma dictates how we interpret the Bible. And I'm sorry, you know, a lot of these guys say, we're just doing a close reading of Scripture. No, they are not. They, I, I, if you Google my name, Rick Phillips Theistic Evolution, you'll see a video of a presentation I did about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. working through all these arguments. So that's, this is a huge issue in the PCA. Now, these two overtures sought to – I don't want to use the word clarify. I'm not sure that's the right word. To make a public to statement make a public and, 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 and firm stand – denouncing any form of theistic evolution in light of the reality that we have biologos on the scene and we've got these other divergent positions coming out of Covenant Seminary and, other, and elsewhere. Um, what was the... Uh, well, there's two arguments that were working together on... Actually, two arguments on, on opposite sides mm-hmm, of the issue mm-hmm. that were allied together to defeat those overtures. A couple right. of presbyteries did overtures to take to make an in statement condemning disallowing theistic evolution. On the one hand, you had people saying, look, we did this already. In 1999, actually in 1999, there was a overture, it was a personal resolution by Joseph Piper Jr. That's actually excellent. It's, it's better than anything. Rather. This is 10 years ago, the PCA passed an in-thesis statement doing it already. I have to say I'm sympathetic with this argument. You know, we've done this, and we don't need to make new in-thesis statements. We've done it recently. The study committee report is very thorough. It, it, it not only deals with theistic evolution, but it deals with some of the hermeneutical arguments mm-hmm, being used mm-hmm. by Keller and others and disallows them. So we did that 10 years ago. We had an overture 10 years ago. Why do we need one now? Well, I think it would have been better for us to do one now simply as an act of pastoral leadership. Absolutely. I think it would have been wise shepherding of the flock to, to pass one of those overtures this year, although I'm sympathetic. The reason our presbytery didn't send one up was because we were aware that there were others going up, and we had these statements on the record. It's not, there's no doubt we have judicially non-binding statements already on the record. The study committee and the, I think it's the 1999 statement. It could be 2000, the, the PIPA overture that was passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But I think it would have been good to do another one just to just pastorally to say, just for want of reminding everybody, we're unified on this issue. It would have helped the broader church. But didn't, you know, they, didn't they indicate that the unity was based in the statements that were already coming out of the confessions and the standards, and, and that should be enough? Well, yeah, the, particularly on Adam. The larger catechism is pretty good on it, to be mm-hmm, honest mm-hmm. with you. So I think the confession, you know, the study committee was dealing with the days of creation. And I do right. think whatever you think of the confession statement on the space of six days, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the origins of Adam, the larger catechism, I think 131, I, I could be mistaken, uh, is pretty clear. So it's true, the confession doesn't allow anything but the supernatural direct creation of Adam, non-evolutionary. Uh, we have these reports. I just think it would have served the broader church. The broader church watches the PCA, you know. Of course. We're, and we're a theologically leading denomination. And we, we chose to be silent in 2012. when See, the, the battle was not raging. Nobody in the PCA was doing theistic evolution in 1999. So it was nice and safe to make the statement now. You need the statement when the battle's raging. And now that the battle's raging, we chose not to do it. So I think there was a technical accuracy to that argument, but I think it was not the best service to Christ. I think it would have served Christ and our church better and the broader church better if we made that statement. Now, the other side of the argument is, and this was really interesting to me, no, let's stop making non-judicially binding statements. Let's stop doing in DC statements. If you want something, then go to the judicial process. If you think somebody's teaching it wrong, then charge them with heresy. Now, that's, that's very interesting to me. Because my perception was that came from the more progressive camp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the peace and unity side says to us, begin with judicial process. So here you have the conservatives saying, hey, we want to, let's stand together and make a statement to encourage people and right. to put an end, you know, passively put an end to this. The, the, the peace, charity, and, 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 and you know, tolerance crowd argues in response, no, no, go to judicial process. Really? That's where you want us to start? Wouldn't it be better to stand together and go, hey, everybody don't do this? But there it is. I think you're going to see, and here's the other thing about the, the General Assembly. The most important body of the, general, of the PCA right now is the SJC, mm-hmm. the Standing Judicial Commission. Mm-hmm. Things are not decided at the General Assembly. This is coming to an SJC near you. I, I, I'm just telling you. The PCA, I, I got to tell you what, this will divide the PCA. The conservatives will leave the PCA over theistic evolution. Don't we have historical the precedent? Scripture. Don't we have historical precedent for this? I of mean, didn't course. we see the Northern Church and the Southern Church go, no, 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 go no, no, down don't, the don't, same? Don't, don't even go that far. Don't go that far. The PCA had an SJC case some years ago. Mm-hmm. A guy was barred from teaching Sunday school because he taught theistic evolution. That's an SJC yep. precedent. And I do, I, I, I think that when it comes to the gospel, and the authority of Scripture, I think the PCA will take a stand. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm leaving it. But I think the PCA is going to stand when the issues are clearly the authority of Scripture and clearly the gospel. That's the, that's the core of the PCA. It is not my impression that the PCA will tolerate, when the rubber meets the road, theistic evolution. It's, it's too bad that this General Assembly has said, do it judicially. I like to say to those teaching theistic evolution, many of who are friends of mine, I admire other things about them, I think that they really need to remember the vows they took to submit to the brethren of the mm-hmm. Lord, to pursue the peace. They always accuse us of being divisive. Hold it, we make agreements and they break them. Yep. The, the people promoting theistic evolution are going to divide the Presbyterian Church in America. And I wish that they would reconsider. I think they're biblically wrong. I think that they're mistaken that we need to surrender this for secular you know, approval or to avoid, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll be persecuted. Yes, they'll call us a bunch of bumpkins. Right. We're, that, what do you think they called the early church in Rome? Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to be persecuted in post-Christian, post-modern America. Um, and I'm not trying to give offense. I'm, they, I don't think anybody thinks they're doing that. I think what's happening is they want to talk about Jesus. It's a, it's a missionally driven, contextualized issue. And they're trying to brush aside what are needless secondary issues. And, you know, maybe we're capitulating a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we want to talk about Jesus. They are not, we're surrendering the authority of Scripture, and this will divide the PCA. Well, I think that's well said, and I think that covers a lot of the issues. I mean, there there was that issue at the assembly that actually had a minority report attached to it. And then there was the next issue, the one that probably people are not real uh, familiar with um i knew i was i know i wasn't when i first heard the word intinction i had absolutely no idea what that was i had to ask 
Um, so what is intention? It's the mode of receiving the Lord's Supper where you dip the bread in the cup and you sop the, the, the wine or the grape juice up with the bread, then you eat the bread. And where do the advocates of this position gain their support or their even their textual argument Beats to say it's, me. it's, 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 it's Beats valid? Me. I mean, what are the origins of this? Well, in the Roman Church, because of the doctrine of transubstantiation, mm-hmm. they believe that once the magical Latin words are spoken, the cup is now filled with the literal blood of Jesus. It doesn't look like the blood of Jesus, but it is the blood of Jesus. Right. Just believe that, because uh, the Pope says so. Now, once you do that, you can't throw it down the drain, right? This is a long tradition of winemaking and wine drinking among monks. Don't spill it on the carpet. Down. Exactly. And, and, any of that and so you're going to sop it up. Right. Um, now, the guys who, I, it blows my mind. Now, you know, the scriptures, here we have, unlike, say, baptism, there's no chapter in the Bible that says, bring the baby up into the parent's arms, hand the baby to the pastor, have the pastor sprinkle water over his or her head, even mm-hmm. though that is the biblical approach. But there's no chapter in the Bible that says, that gives you that procedural specificity, mm-hmm. which is why we agree, we tolerate with uh, other modes of baptism, as long as water, the name of the Trinity is involved. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we are told how the Lord did it. First, he passed the bread. And then after he'd given thanks, he passed it to his disciples. And then they partook the bread. Then he passed the cup. Why we wouldn't do everything we could to subordinate our judgment and our wisdom to the clear procedural administration of the Lord. Now, every conversation I had at General, I had a couple of guys go, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, thank you. But I had lots of guys say, well, dude, why aren't you using wine? So, I heard that argument as well. My argument is, well, I'd be happy to have a discussion about that. I actually think the fruit of the vine is necessary. The the state of its fermentation, I don't think is an issue. But if the General Assembly ordered wine, we would fill our cups with wine here at at, Mm -hmm. at Second Mm -hmm. Press. But that, why not, can we, can we go back, okay, we'll set that aside, I'll deal with that, let's distribute them as Jesus did. Well, why aren't you using unleavened bread? Okay, uh, I don't think that the type of bread is, is, is that big a deal, I understand the argument. Well, why don't you sit at the table? Ah, well, I think we do want to replicate the table. We have a 600-member church here, so we don't have a table with 600 people around it. But this is why we don't practice, as some people do, that the that the priest, I meant minister, stands up front and the people <laughs> come down one by one and receive it from his hand like they do in the Church of Rome. That does not replicate. So I want to say, why wouldn't we replicate so far as we can uh, the biblical administration procedurally? It just blows my mind why we wouldn't do this. And I was told, well, it's shorter this way. And by the way, the, the, the intention seems to be associated with weekly communion, which you would think, and they would argue we have a higher view of the Lord's Supper. It seems they have a lower view of the Lord's Supper. Right. Well, let's knock it out. And no one said that to me. But it's, I mean, I just don't understand when we have the scriptures telling us how Jesus administered it, why we wouldn't do our best. I don't think the state of fermentation of the well, I, grape juice is those, an issue. I, I really those don't. Those are red herring issues besides. I mean, that's, 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 that's just right a whole right. other discussion. And we can have it, as you said, we can talk about that some other time. But as far as how we're going to administer yeah. the elements, that's the issue. The highlight of the entire assembly for me personally, in, in my wicked little heart, was during this debate, some youngish guy gets up there and he's got, uh, he's got a, a theotis. It used to be called soul patches, but that's so 2010. It's a theotis now. And he's wearing dungarees, and he's got earrings, he's got his iPad, and it's during the intention debate. And he says, you know, we're not just doing this to be hip. And I wanted to go, my friend, everything you are doing is to be hip. I mean, you are a living picture of I'm doing this to be hip. My impression, I'm sorry if it's not charitable, I don't mean to be uncharitable, is that we want to be hip. Cutting edge. We want to be cutting edge. And I think most guys, it never occurred to them. Guys like, ah, what's wrong with intention? We well, see, we're like a reformed. What are they going? What are they learning in seminary? Yeah. You know, the, uh, what? You see, we're a reformed church. We're part of a of a communion, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have beliefs. And see, see, the PCA diversity is what I I will do it the way that I want to do it is the rule of the day in the PCA. Now, were you surprised as I was at the number of people that were already doing it? I was stunned. It tends to be. It seems to be church planners. 
I talked to church planners and said, you know, I realize there's a certain amount of innovation involved in mm-hmm, church planning. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think there's that much, but there's mm-hmm. obviously there's some. Let's rest- let's sanct- let's restrain that. Let's biblically restrain the innovative impulse. And certainly when we get to the sacraments, see, it's worship diversity. We don't think it matters how we do it. But see, I think the spirit of submission to the Lord and of obedience to him and relying upon him rather than methodological innovation and novelty and, and coolness mm-hmm, and all that, mm-hmm. I think that's the spirit in the air. And so this diversity impulse that allows us, we believe in contextualization. I think that we're largely wrong about it. And so that impulse to everybody does it their own way in the PCA, and that's our strength. It is not our strength. That's why we talk about unity all the time. Right. Because we have very little unity. And, and that, it blows my mind that a Reformed denomination like ours would even have an intention problem. Now, there was a vote um, to change the BCO, the Book of Church Order, to, for lack of a better way of expressing it, prohibit its practice. Right. Um, the general, the assembly voted, and it passed... By, by fourteen votes. Fourteen votes, and so now what's the next step in this process? Well, now it goes back to the presbyteries, and two thirds of the presbyteries have to ratify it. It strikes me that that's not likely to happen. That was that was my next question. So here's what an is example your impression of, the, of well, that possibility. And this is why people think the GA is much to do about nothing. Two hour debate, uh, and a lively close vote, and it's going to die at the presbyteries. That's my opinion. Maybe I'll be surprised. I thought we were going to lose that debate, and we won it. I thought we were going to win the theistic evolution debate. We lost that one. Well, I heard you mind, the, the person who gave the minority report, which became the primary, the, 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 yeah. the main motion, uh, surprisingly, um, did an outstanding job of presenting the yeah. minority position. I thought particularly the minority report on theistic evolution was a very good job. Yes, they were both um, very good. Yeah. Now, none of these, and none of the, by the way, the PCA did not endorse theistic evolution. The PCA chose to remain silent while the battle's raging. I think that was a mistake. Uh, the PCA did a symbolic vote against intinction. I think it was a victory for the progressive diversity side because they know they're going to get away with it. They've now come clean about something that's contrary to the directory of worship, and that is Romish, and now they're going to get away with it, and they are. Pato communion was the other one. You know, Pato communion uh, is uh, the question was, should an exception be allowed? I should say the other committee of the General Assembly that's becoming most important is review of presbytery records, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. See, now the issue is finding out who's not playing by the rules. <laughs> and that's like one of because, because people don't play by the rules. We pass over the whole women's thing. We had to we had presbyteries ordaining women deacons. They're not allowed to do that. And uh, and so we have to find out by getting by reviewing their records. It, this these are things that are important in disunified denominations. Absolutely. Uh, my, my big pet peeve about the Pato Communion report was we had advocates of Pato Communion stand up on the floor of the assembly and say, we know that we can take the exception, but we can't teach it and can't practice it. None of us teach it or practice it. That's a false statement. Yep, yep. You know, I, 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 I'm, I've been advised not to make speeches on the floor where I'm blowing my gasket, and I did it again this year because I was so upset because I pull up on my Android, you know, real men use Androids, not iPhones, but uh, I pull up on my yeah, Android. Yeah, can I get an argument out of me on that I one. pull up on my Android the Joint Federal Vision Statement signed by four PCA ministers, which explicitly teaches Pedo communion. And the guy who had just stood up, one of the big leaders on this issue, and said, no one teaches this, one of the guys in his presbytery. And they are writing books and articles about it. Mm-hmm. Just don't, I, don't get on the floor of the assembly and make statements that, let me just say, I want to be, be careful. It runs the risk of looking like you're saying things that you know are false. And I think, you know, I, look, uh, the poor potato communion people are in a ghetto of the PCA they're not allowed to practice it. I hear that it is being practiced, but I don't know. That's what I hear. I have not evaluated those. I see it being taught, but I don't think the PCA is in danger of becoming a wild pedo communion denomination. Frankly, we're too we're not reformed enough to have that error. That's an error on the ultra of reformed, sure. the excessively liturgical side. We're we err on the other side. So even though I spoke of that issue, I don't think that the Pato communion issue is a slippery slope issue in the PCA. Mm. I think there's going to be a pocket of people doing it. I, I, I wish they would not. I, I hope that they submit to the brethren and the Lord wholeheartedly. If they do, I can live with them. 
Uh, but uh, and I, I think I get what's going on with him. I disagree strongly, but it pales compared to the uh, the, the evolution. The issue. evolution issue. That's huge. So we're likely to see that issue come back up again. Um, next year, the uh, assembly will be right here in Greenville. And in the next year, between last year's assembly and this year's assembly and next year, there will be more people teaching it because they were encouraged to do so by right. the non-action of this assembly. I think it was bad leadership. And I think even one of the uh, men, one of the uh, teaching elder, I forgot who it was at the time, that was one of the points that he made, that he had people in his church that were somewhat confused as to the issues, and he felt that this would be a helpful pastoral step for the for the people in the church because we spoke clearly when the battle was not raging we thought it was wise not to speak while the battle was yeah how much sense does that make well there's your pca for you the pca is not an activist denomination and it takes a while for our folks to to get going i I think you know i think it's going to have to get worse i think it is going to get worse people are going to be hurt Mm. Uh, if you look at peter renz my former professor i know him pretty well uh uh, the things that he's now writing on his blog, having adopted theistic evolution, are chilling to me. Yep. He's now saying, you know, we need to accept that sexual promiscuity is good because evolution rewards it. We need to accept that, you know, dominant aggression is not so bad. It's, it's the way evolutionary works. And Christianity needs to adopt it. When I see guys who used to be professors at my seminary saying those anti-Christian things, I don't want to encourage this. People are being hurt. Uh, God is being dishonored. And I'm telling you, Theistic evolution is going to split the PCA right down the middle if it's not dealt with aggressively. The, those committed to inerrancy, the historic reformed people, are, are very alarmed. This is, I'm just describing it to you. Are very alarmed that we would formally be subordinating the authority of Scripture to secularist dogma as a higher authority. That is our slippery slope issue. Absolutely. Well, uh, Pastor Phillips, it's been... A very informative discussion. I do have two members in the room as well. Um, the associate pastor of Second Presbyterian Church, uh, Robert Spears, as well as the pastoral intern of Second Pres. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? You're going to have to relay them through me, of course, but um, any questions for Pastor Phillips? What do you hope to see... Um reforms I do in the next year to, you know, to uh, ameliorate this. Theistic uh, evolution? Yeah, Robert, Robert Spears asked, um, what do you hope to see the reform side do to somewhat alleviate or... We have been instructed by the General Assembly to do judicial action. Were we not instructed to do that Absolutely. by Absolutely. I think Assembly? Dr. Piper, in fact, stood up and asked, basically asked that question. In, a, in, I think in really in the form of a statement. It's an alarming thing that that's where we would start, but I think you're going to see judicial action mm-hmm. in the next year is what you're going to see. Uh, I think that you're having, in fact, there are right now, Robert, there are behind-the-scenes dialogue going on. I'm personally involved in some of this, trying to dissuade people before it would get to that. But I think the General Assembly has left us with capitulation or judicial action. Absolutely. The SJC holds the future of our denomination in his hand. Wow. I, I would say this, I, I, I'm appalled by the quality of bags at our General Assembly. You know, back when we were a real denomination, we had cloth bags. Remember the great Birmingham 2002 bag? Well, yeah. I'm still using okay, that. Well, next this year, paper bag is liberalism. Next year, when the Assembly's in Greenville, I have already you made can that point. make sure that this is resolved. I have made the point. And it won't committee. take a committee to do it either. Cloth, I'll bet you that would be the easy one quality bag to, to take care of. And, and just remember, you heard it here first on uh, Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Seminary that real men use Android. Um, I, you, can't, you can't know that if I learned anything in this discussion, you got to know that that, um, that thrilled my heart to no end, even coming from a Boston Red Sox fan. I want to I praise the cordial churchman display and the Elroy Taylor bow tie. Congratulations to our stated clerk for a beautiful bow tie, which I bought and wore. And the, the and he's pastor's wearing right wife, now. I'll just have you the know. The pastor's wife who makes those cordial churchman bow ties, that was one of the highlights of my general Great. assembly. Mr. Sparkman, do you have anything? He has nothing. Um, just so you know, he, I, I've mentioned this before. He hates it every time I do it, but I'm going to do it again. He's the gentleman that lines up these programs for me so that I can sit down and, and, and focus on the interviews and, and prepare intelligently for them. So 
he's in the room, but he's chicken, doesn't want to say anything. And there goes the microphone on the other end of the table. Um, Dr. Phillips, it's been good. Um, as usual, high energy, um, which I didn't, ex- I didn't ex- expect anything less. Um, and I've appreciated your insight and things to think about. And I hope those who listen to this uh, take seriously. I, mean, I think we spent a lot of time talking about some of the other issues, but we, we spent a lot of time dealing with what, in his opinion, and I think it's a, a very safe opinion, that the future of the denomination as far as uh, the issues that were uh, had at the assembly center on this creation issue. And um, we can't get that right. We got a lot of problems going forward. So um, anyway, thanks for being on. And I know your time is precious and you need to run. Um, coming up on the broadcast, I have no idea. A um, couple broadcasts next week, I'll be talking with um, Stephen Lee from Sermon Audio, right. as well as um, J.V. Fesco out of Westminster Seminary, California, about his new work on uh, the book of Galatians, a new commentary series. So we look forward to that. That's actually going to be on the same day. Um, so those will be released in a staggered, a staggered format. So again, any questions or comments about this program, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. Visit our website, gpts.edu, or confessingourhope.com. So until next time, we thank you for listening to this particular edition, and God bless.